And I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16 this morning. Our series on the Gospel of Matthew is called Following Jesus. And chapter 16 is one of the most important chapters in the whole book for learning about that theme. Next Sunday, we're going to finish the chapter and look at that hide the word verse that we quoted earlier in the service, verse 24, which is all about what it really means to follow Jesus. But first, before you can truly follow Jesus, you have to know who this Jesus is, whom you are following. And this book has been all about that, hasn't it? The Gospel of Matthew we've seen as a theological biography. And the key question of any biography is who, right? Who? For the last several months, we've said in the Gospel of Matthew, you've got to keep your eye on what? Keep your eye on the ball. And what is the ball in the Gospel of Matthew? It's the question of Jesus' identity. Who is this person? We've seen that again and again and again, right? Well, this time, when we get to Matthew 16, which in many ways the book has been marching towards, it's Jesus himself who asks the question. He says, who do you say I am? Our title for this message is The Question and the Promise. Looking at just verses 13 through 20 this, this morning, that's as far as we're going to get, 13 through 20, we get the question and the promise. Jesus asks the question. And then after the question gets answered, Jesus gives a great big promise that is based on the answer to the question. That's all I want for us to look at today. And I want us to think about what that question and that promise mean for us in 2019. Let's pray together and then dig in. All right, let's pray. Father, we have sung about how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. We've sung about worshiping this, this God who is the King, our Maker, Defender, Redeemer, and Friend. Help us, Lord, now to consider the identity of this person, Jesus, the most compelling person who has ever lived, and to then adjust our lives according to his identity. I know that Sunday school was about that this morning. Thank you for preparing our hearts for that. Help us, Lord, to see with the eyes of faith, not just with our physical eyes, but with the eyes of faith, with hearts open, who Jesus really is. And because of that, to build our lives on this amazing identity. Help us to hear with the ears of faith, not just with our physical ears as we're sitting here. Help us to pay attention. But even more, Lord, help us to hear with our spiritual ears the promise that Jesus makes and how we can rest on that promise. Everything we've sung about is true. Everything we're going to read now is true. Help us, Lord, to get it. 
Lord, we can't do this on our own. I can't preach it right on my own. We can't hear this word right on our own. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit to work in us. Please. Do heart work on us today. We pray in the name of this one, Jesus. Amen. First, the question. Matthew 16, verse 13. You see it? When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? There is the question. This event, this questioning, takes place in the north of Israel in primarily Gentile country. The city of Caesarea Philippi had recently been renamed that by Herod Philip in honor of himself. Don't you love it when they name the city after themselves? And in honor of the Caesar. It was about 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. This is This is about as far as Jesus ever gets from Jerusalem. Pretty soon he's going to start moving towards Jerusalem. He's been kind of withdrawing farther and farther away, getting everybody ready. Soon he's going to begin his march towards Jerusalem and the fateful events of what we call Passion Week. But right now he's about as far away as he gets in his earthly ministry and he asks them the question, Who do people say the Son of Man is? He's gathered together his followers. He doesn't ask this of the crowd. He asks this of his followers. He asks them the key question of this gospel, this theological biography. Who? Who do people say the Son of Man is? Now that Son of Man, some of us probably talked about that. Did the ladies talk about that in Sunday school this morning? That name Son of Man, he uses it in in Mark 2, which we were studying. It's Jesus' favorite name for himself. So he's saying, who do people say I am? That son of man uh, title emphasizes both his humanity, son of man, as well as his divinity. When you realize the Old Testament background from that name in like the book of Ezekiel or the book of Daniel. But it's also pretty enigmatic, the son of man. Who's that? Well, that's what Jesus says. Who's that? Who do people say I am? What is the word on the street? By the way, that question is super important, and it's always being asked. And it's always being answered. You just wait. In a few weeks, right, it'll be Easter season, and there'll be the cover of Newsweek, the cover of Time, the cover of whatever, will be a new take on who is Jesus, right? There'll be some picture, and there'll be people saying what their new hot take is on the person of Jesus. Go out onto the streets of any big city and ask that question, and what kind of answers might you get back? My guess is that Jordan and Abe on Penn State campus will take surveys out and to the students and say, so what have you heard? Who do you think Jesus is? Well, some people say he's a good moral teacher. Other people might say he's a renegade Jew. Some people say, well, I don't, I don't really know. Some people say there's no way to tell. Some people say, well, that's the Christian's God. Some people say he's a great example. He's a revolutionary. What have you heard people say? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus has just warned his disciples to guard against the bad yeast, 
the false teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do you remember that from last week? Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were answering this question and they were answering it wrongly, terribly wrongly. A few chapters ago, they had said that Jesus was in partnership with Beelzebub. They refused to consider that Jesus might be the Messiah and instead claimed that he was in league with Satan himself. There's a lot of ideas out there about who Jesus is. What have you heard? Well, the disciples had been listening to the crowds and they tended to think that Jesus was some kind of a prophet. Look at verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Herod Antipas thought that Jesus was John the Baptist back from the dead. You remember that? He wasn't, but it was a popular idea at the time. John was quite prophetic. So is this Jesus. And they both had the same message, right? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is near. Others had said Elijah. Elijah, in the Old Testament, had been promised in some way to return. We saw already before that Jesus says that John the Baptist is actually the fulfillment of that promise. He was the Elijah who was to come, so to speak. So close, but no cigar. Others said, Jeremiah. You're Jeremiah. Now that's different. I'm not sure why Jeremiah... Why Jeremiah was the one they thought was. Uh, Jeremiah perhaps was because he was gloomy. He was the weeping prophet. He had a message of judgment to come. And some of what Jesus said might have reminded them of Jeremiah's message. They say, or one of the other prophets. We're not sure. You seem very prophetic to people, Jesus. Is Jesus a prophet? Yes, he is. He's prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet promised back in Deuteronomy 19. But he's more than a prophet, isn't he? Jesus asks the key question. He makes it personal in verse 15. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? That could be the key question of the whole Gospel of Matthew. And how you answer that question determines so much. How do you answer that question? What do you think? The classic choices put forward last century by people like C.S. Lewis and Josh McDowell are liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. If you read the Gospel of Matthew and you see who Jesus claimed to be, do you think he's telling the truth? Or do you think he was crazy? C.S. Lewis in his classic book, Mere Christianity, says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being some great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Some people don't believe that Jesus ever said these things or did these things. So that's another option, that Jesus is just a legend. But the evidence, the historic evidence, is against that. If you have questions about that, I have some really good books about the historicity of the Gospels, how trustworthy they are as historical sources, like this one from Craig Blomberg, The Historical Reliability of the Gospels. I'd be glad to loan it to you. A little light reading on a Sunday afternoon. I don't think that legend is a viable option either. What do you think? It's important what you think. Not that it changes who Jesus is. He is who He is. But it matters whether or not you believe it. Jesus cares. He asks you the question too. But what about you? Who do you say I am? I remember when I first got that question. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh, I've noticed that some people answer this question, Jesus is God, Jesus is my shepherd, Jesus is my savior, Jesus is my friend, but they don't really say Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my king. They're happy for Jesus to love them, and they love him too, but they don't necessarily want to do what Jesus says. They don't want Jesus to call the shots. Because Jesus likes to get all up in our business and call us to do things we don't necessarily want to do. Remember, if you decide that Jesus is who he says he is, that means you are committed to living out his Sermon on the Mount from the inside out. Remember what he said about lust? Remember what he said about anger? Remember what he said about prayer? Remember what he said about money? Remember what he said about how we would treat our enemies remember what he said about what kind of people will flourish so what about you who do you say he is that's the question i think the answer is obvious and i think you do too because you're here this morning i think the disciples have been getting there as well they've been thinking about this an awful lot they've seen him do some amazing things and they've heard all of his teaching And now their never-timid spokesman, Simon, steps up to answer it. Verse 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, yeah. You know, that's the first time in Matthew's Gospel when one of the disciples puts this actually into words. They've bowed before him. They've asked the question. They've even said, Truly you are the Son of God. But they've never said the M word yet. They never said Messiah, or in Greek, Christos, Christ. You are the anointed one, the one promised by the whole Old Testament. That's who you are, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So that's a pop quiz for Peter, right? How do you do? A plus, right? I almost titled this message, Peter Gets an A+. But then next week, we'd have to title the message, Peter Gets an F-minus, when you see what happens in just a few verses. 
But here Peter hits it on the nail, right on the head. Verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You've got it right, Pete. That's the right answer to this key question. You've kept your eye on the ball, and you've knocked it out of the park. And you are so blessed. Do you see the blessing? The, 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 the word for blessing there is the same as from the Beatitudes, makarios. How blessed you are. Congratulations, Peter. Way to go. Way to be. Good on you. Now, he says, don't get a big head about that. That wasn't something you came up with all by yourself. And it wasn't even given to you by your earthly daddy, Simon, son of the fisherman, named after the reluctant seagoing prophet Jonah. You got that from not your father, but from my father. It's a divine gift that you know who I am. That's true for us too, isn't it? I mean, if we get it, if our eyes are open, if our ears are open, if our hearts are open, and we say, that's who Jesus is. Well, we didn't get there on our own. It was a gift from God. It was all of grace for which we should be so grateful. Now, I'm sure that Peter didn't really understand the implications of what he had just said. In fact, it will be clear in just the next few verses that he didn't understand hardly anything of what he just said. But what he just said was the right answer to the question. Here's the answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the proper response to that, what's the proper response to that? It's to build your life on this truth, right? This is what we all need. We all need to answer this question and then build our lives on this truth. Don't believe that anything else is the Christ, that anything else is the Messiah, the Savior. Everybody's looking for a rescuer, right? Everybody's looking for a Messiah. Somebody back there is looking for a Messiah, right? That's what's behind all these superhero movies, right? I love them. I love superhero movies. I've been a big fan of Marvel Comics since long before it was cool. My favorite characters were Spider-Man, Captain America, and a guy in a purple outfit called Hawkeye. And I never thought I would see Hawkeye in a movie, okay? Why are these characters so popular? Because they're saviors, right? What's the point of every superhero movie? If you don't like superheroes, how about cowboys? Those are just superheroes in 10-gallon hats, right? What's the point of every hero movie? Rescuing, right? Saving the day, saving the town, saving the world, saving the universe. People are looking for saviors. They're looking for someone to rescue them from whatever they perceive as the dangers. That's one of the reasons why politics are so heated right now. People are looking for saviors. They're looking for someone to rescue them from whatever they perceive as the dangers that they're in. And that's true for those on the right, and it's true for those on the left. People are looking for messiahs left and right. But Jesus says that he is the messiah, the son of the living God. He is the rescuer. He's the savior. So we need to build our lives on him. 
And interestingly, Jesus says that he's going to build his church on Peter. And his right answer to this big question. That's the promise. Look at verse 18. You told me who I am, and now I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. See, there's the promise. Jesus will build his church. Jesus has a great pun here, doesn't he? I think this gives us ample justification for using puns in normal day life, because Jesus does. He says, Simon, I've renamed you Rocky. That's what Peter means, rock, right? Wonder if he could do the eyebrow. And on this rock, you and your correct answer to my big question, I will build my church and nothing will stop it. Here's the promise. Jesus will build his church. Now, I've preached that sentence as its own sermon before all by itself. Just think about it, just real quick. I, Jesus, and nobody else, will most definitely, unstoppably, build atop this rock my, and nobody else's, church, the called out people of God. What a great promise. By the way, this is the first use of that word church in the New Testament. Here's where Jesus first promised that we would come into existence, that Jesus would build his church. Notice that he does it, he says, on Peter. Not that Peter is the first pope or anything like that. This isn't saying that Peter is super special and gets superpowers that get passed from pope to pope to pope until it reaches the guy in Rome. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible and certainly not here. Peter is special because he is first and representative and he, he has given, he's blurted out the right answer by the Father. So it all starts here with Rocky. And on this rock, this foundation of Peter and his right answer, Jesus will build his church. I don't know about you, but that is so very encouraging to me. As a pastor, I can get to thinking that it's my job to build the church. And I just cannot do it. I can't make the church grow. I can't make the church get bigger. I can't make the church get stronger. I can't make the church mature. All I can do is just be faithful to my calling to shepherd it, to preach the gospel and do the work of an evangelist, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, but I can't build it. If I build it, they won't come. But Jesus said that he would build the church. I build my life on the right answer to the question, and Jesus will build the church on the right answer to that question. Do you see why it's important to keep your eye on the ball? This is so reassuring to me. Now, that doesn't mean that we just sit back and don't do anything. We do everything that the Christ, the Son of the living God, tells us to do, including putting on a wild game dinner to introduce people to Jesus. But ultimately, we aren't responsible for the church being built. Only Jesus can do that. And he has promised that he will. He has promised that he will. 
What are these gates? These gates of Hades. I think the gates of Hades are the doors to the prison house of death. My sense is that it means that death will not prevail against the church. Death will lose in its fight with us. I don't think it's about Satan or about demons so much as it is about death. Death does not win. It's like 1 Corinthians 15 when Paul jumps to the end of the story and he says, When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The church is victorious. It will be victorious. The resurrection will guarantee it. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. An invincible, unstoppable, death-overcoming church. Jesus will build it and it will be glorious. So I don't know about you this morning, but I need to hear that. Because the church often doesn't seem that way. The church seems so fragile so fickle at times, so breakable. Careful how you touch the church, it might break. But no, that's not the reality of the true church. The true church is an unstoppable force from Matthew 16, 16 on. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the right answer to the big question about who Jesus is, Jesus promises to build an unbeatable church. And you and I are along for the ride. Jesus promises Peter even more. Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then a lot of ink has been spilled by scholars arguing over precisely what that means. Sure sounds important. Those are important keys that Peter is going to wield. The keys to get into or be kept out of the kingdom of heaven. This isn't a joke about St. Peter at some pearly gates. This is the deep authority given to Peter in chapter 16, and I think implicitly to the rest of the disciples there. And then to the whole church in chapter 18, we'll see that when we get there, the keys of the deep authority that goes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The authority to tell people the good news about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And the authority and responsibility to guard the gospel and to keep it pure. And the authority and responsibility to determine who has believed the gospel and who is not believing the gospel. These keys are the authority and responsibility to be the gospel-proclaiming, gospel-protecting church that Jesus is infallibly building. To live out the mission of sharing the gospel with the nations. And to those who believe this gospel, the doors to the kingdom become unlocked. And they're ushered in. But to those who deny the gospel, the doors remain shut and they're locked out, judged by how they truly answer the big question that Jesus was asking. And there will be symmetry between heaven's verdict and the church's verdict because there is ultimately only one right answer to the question, who do you say that I am? In verse 20, our last verse this morning, Jesus tells them the exact opposite of what he is telling us today. Look at verse 20. 
Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Is that surprising? Why did he do that? It was the right answer, right? Yeah, it's the right answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, but don't tell anybody. Why? It's because they didn't really know what that meant yet. We'll see that for sure next week. In the very next verse, Jesus begins to explain what it really means for him to be the Messiah. And in a word, it means the cross. They didn't get that yet. So don't go around talking about Christ if you don't understand cross. None of the people they talked to and they would tell that Jesus is the Christ would get the cross either. So right now, they're supposed to keep that quiet. Not like it isn't going to get out. But you and I are not supposed to be quiet about this. We're on this side of the cross. We get it. Christ means cross. We know. We know the question. We know the right answer to the question. And we know the promise that is now built on that right answer. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus will build His church. So let's go tell some people.